This man is still the only man ever to be the World Series MVP as a member of the losing team. He hit 367 in the 1960 World Series. He had 11 hits and 12 RBIs. The Yankees second baseman, Bobby Richardson. It's the bottom of the first, and the bases are loaded with Yankees. One out, and the count on Richardson is three and two. Bobby smashes a hard drive to left field, and Simone goes back, back, back but he doesn't have a chance. It's a grand slam home run. Scoring Scowlin, McDougal, and Howard ahead of him. And the New Yorkers lead six to nothing. In the bottom of the fourth inning, the bases are again jammed as Bobby Richardson lines the ball into left field for a single. Scoring Stalin and McDougal, and another record. And goes to the darling of the crowd, Bobby Richardson. Richardson on first, two outs. Hold him on, and they throw the ball away. Bobby goes on to second. Bobby, on behalf of the 1966 Yankee teammates, I think I can say that each one of us is a little richer for having played with you. Congratulations. With a runner on third base, the infield is pulled in for this crucial game of the World Series. The ball is hit to Richardson's left. He fields the ball. to hold the runner on third and then underhands the ball to Pepitone. In game six of the series, with the Yankees leading 4-0, Bobby Richardson pulls a long drive to left field. It sails over the head of Gino Samoli and it's in there for a triple. Vera and Blanchard tally to make it 11 runs batted in for Richardson in the series. Here's the series hero with RBIs, 12 of them, Bobby Richardson. That's an all-time World Series RBI record. The final game of the 1962 World Series. The series is all tied up, three apiece. Yankees ahead by one run. But San Francisco has Matty Alou on third and Willie Mays on second. Two out in the last of the ninth inning, 
and Big Willie McCovey stepping to the plate. A single will give the game to the Giants. McCovey hits a sinking liner just one step to Richardson's left. The game is over. The Yankees win and reign as world champs of 1962. And in closing, I can only say, as Mickey Mantle has said, as Lou Gehrig has said, how lucky it has been for me to have been a Yankee. To God be the glory. Thank you very much. was born on Dad's 55th birthday. He's the one that put together that video. Made Dad look good, did it not? <laughs> but I guess you can't, through a video, make somebody be a five-time Gold Glove Award winner or an eight-time All-Star or hold World Series records even after, what, 60, 61 years or so. Uh, God is blessed in a special way down through the years as far as baseball. But especially, God has used him in the lives of many people. Through his speaking, uh, if you've heard him speak before, you know he does a good job. And his serving, he has a servant heart. He's always looking for ways to, to serve other people. And it's my honor to introduce to you my dad, Bobby Richardson. I'm sorry I didn't touch you. Get you out of fish. <laughs> uh, Alan, I apologize. <laughs> but I'm glad he's on your board. You know, I am an outdoorsman. I had a good time in Ken's Sunday school class this morning, and Ron Braswell is here, and he had a big turkey that he got over the weekend, I think, and uh, he's fried it up, and I'm taking it home with me today. So I am a sportsman. I'm an outdoorsman. And I remember so well that... Um, I was at home one day, and I had a great bird dog. My bird dog was a lemon and white pointer. He was just an outstanding dog. And somehow my next-door neighbor, who had a sign company, but was also uh, a, a, an artist, he got that and made the most beautiful portrait of my bird dog you've ever seen. It looked even more real than my bird dog looked. And I took it home, and I had uh, at a den, I had my two daughters' uh, marriage uh, at their ceremony, had their pictures up. My wife and I have been married 65 years, and so I had hers up in the center. wasn't quite 65 then. It was a bit less. And then he gave me that picture. Betsy was out of town, so I took her picture down and put that bird dog up. <laughs> when she got back, she didn't say too much, but I knew I'd made a mistake. And, but there was a wall over next door, and she said, no, no, you leave your bird dog up there. You, you do what you want to do. And I knew I should get it down, but she didn't want hers to go back. But about that time, Pop Lambert, who had a home for boys, had uh, put together a portrait of my favorite scripture verse. And it was not calligraphy, but it was old English, and it was just wonderful. It was framed and everything. And so when I put that up, boy, that was wonderful with her. She couldn't get over that. She said, that's fine. It's been up there ever since. And that's the verse I'm using today. And I'm going to share that verse, and then I want Betsy to come up here because all the way down we've been praying for the family here in the neighborhood that had the tragedy over the weekend. And 
I'd like for her to come and pray. Let me read the verse while you walk. Ron, help her up if you would. She's just 80. I'm 85. That's why I sat down a little bit earlier. <laughs> but that verse of Scripture while they're coming up is very simply. Romans 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And I want you to pray for the family and certainly for the boys, uh, the kids, the grandchildren that were killed, the technicians, and the, the other one died. I think you know that probably today. And then that beautiful young girl, Sharon, she lost her son. And she is going to sing at my funeral. I can't, she sang it at her dad's funeral. Since she lost the boy, she, boy she's not so much. But she's going to sing at my funeral too. Thank you for coming today. I think of that song from Chuck leading um, that went with a little chorus we sang. <clears throat> Real joy is mine no matter if teardrops start. I found the secret is Jesus in my heart. And we do weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And um, when answers, there's another song that goes, when answers aren't enough, there is Jesus. So that's who we cling to in our lives. And we know he's sovereign. We know he loves us. And um, we read the testimony of the doctor of his faith, and it was on heaven, and how he would see Jesus and walk with his wife in heaven one day. He didn't know how it would happen. But we don't understand. Please be in prayer for the, the children and the parents of those children and the family of the one who took the lives. We just, so much pain comes from sin in all of our lives. But we know there's the cross. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you that when we can't, Trace your hand, we can trust your heart. And we don't know, we don't understand, we grieve with those who grieve, but we thank you that we have that supernatural peace because you promised that when our minds are stayed on you, that you will keep our hearts in peace because we trust you. Thank you for tears, thank you for um, the fellowship of fellow believers, thank you for, thank you for Calvary, Jesus. We put that in the background of everything that touches our life, and we can never doubt your love. We thank you, and thank you for your shed blood for us and what you suffered. And we thank you that you go ahead of us and with us and behind us, and that your love casts out fear. And we praise you and thank you for your faithfulness this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Ron, help her down again. <laughs> thank you. And I know there are many of you in here that have contact and knew them well, and so we will continue. Thank you, Ron, to hold them up in prayer. Noted French jurist was attorney for a murderer. And in his final address to the jury, he said, Gentlemen of the jury, my task is very easy. The accused has confessed. 
a defense is impossible. And yet I want to add a few words. There on the wall, I see a picture of the crucified Christ and pay homage to him. But why does a murderer hear of Jesus Christ now in here for the very first time in his life? And then he went on to say, it's you, gentlemen, whom I accuse. You brag with your culture and education. You spread atheism among the people and then are astonished when they reply with crime and vulgarity. That's the way our country is going today. Everybody thinks that what they're doing and what they're thinking is right in their mind. Our country is more divided than it's ever been before in their life. I mentioned that I was a sportsman, but my hunting partner is much more of a sportsman. His name's Cleve McClary. In Vietnam, he lost an eye, lost an arm, three purple hearts, the bronze star and the silver star. And every time I'm with him, I think of the times that he spent in the hospital, over 100 operations, getting his body back in shape. And he told me one day that he was in one of the army hospitals, and there was one of his buddies over there was his father. And the father was so happy because he was going to be all right, no permanent scars or handicaps. But there was another buddy a little bit farther over, and he was not doing well. Nurses and doctors were there in a moment. It was obvious that death was near. And he was startled to see his father move down to the foot of the bed and start singing. It was feeble. It was broken in spots, but it was singing. And he could only ask, how can you sing like that? And the man looked up and replied, I have missed much that most men count valuable. I've lost a farm. I've failed at business. I have very little of worldly goods. But one thing I made sure of, I led my boy to Jesus. Now I shall lose my boy, but not forever. Some men gain a great deal and lose it all at death. I've lost a great deal, but I shall gain far more when I step into heaven. Is there a quality in our conviction? I'm just so glad that in a church just like this in Sumter, South Carolina, where I lived, my grandfather was the chief of police. The YMCA was one block away. Main Street was about a block and a half. The three elementary schools were a half a block. And my church was a block and a half away, Grace Baptist Church. And there were two Sunday school teachers that had a great impact in my life. One was a farmer. One worked for the, the, the power company. And I remember they were so consistent. They were there every Sunday. And they opened the scriptures and taught God's word in such a manner that I and the other boys in that particular Sunday school class just were there and couldn't wait for the next Sunday to come around. And then that time came after several years where we were learning scripture that those two men that were Sunday school teachers decided it was time that I met with the pastor and joined the church because I had made a decision to receive Christ. And so on a Sunday afternoon, went over to the pastor's home, and I remember that as we walked in and sat down, and I said, we, because I have two sisters, and they were with me that day. He opened the Bible and started sharing verses like when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He opened the Bible and showed me that uh, in Romans it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I knew that in my life I had displeased God in many ways. And he pointed out the penalty involved, the wages of sin is death, eternal death. But then he shared the good news that Christ died for my sins, he was buried. And he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. 
And that day as a young preteen, I remember that uh, he asked me the question if I wanted to, if I had received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I said, I have. I understand that God loves me, has a plan, a purpose for my life, and sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to shed his precious blood to cover my sins. And I recognize I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. And I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the verse to seal my decision was John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Well, those were wonderful days, and all so about that time, my dad loved baseball. He had played a little bit, but had to work. And he afforded me all the opportunities on the knee pants league, it was called, instead of little league at that time. The YMCA sponsored it. They had mites and bidgets and junior programs that I went through those programs. Loved every minute of it. I loved basketball as well. And then when I became a freshman in high school, my dad said, I think it's time for you to go out for the high school baseball team. Well, we'd been playing basketball in tournament play, so I was two weeks late going out, and big catcher by the name of Latson Cubbage that became an outstanding coach in our state went out for the team, and we had a three-day workout. They saw how we run, how we swung the bat, all of the various things you do to see what kind of player you are. And at the end of three days, they said, Latson Cubbage, you are a catcher. We need a catcher. You've made the team. Richardson, I don't think he knew my first name. He said, Richardson, you come back next year. <laughs> And uh, I was hurt a little bit. I was a little disappointed, but not too much discouraged because my dad said, well, why don't you go out for the American Legion team this summer? You're 14 years old now, and you'll soon be 15 in August, and maybe you can make that ball club. I did go out. I made the team. We won the state championship, the regional championship, and playing in sectional play right near here in Charlotte, North Carolina, against Richmond, Virginia, with the winner of the game going to the American Legion World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, we would play that final game. Before that game, they took us out to see a film. The name of the film was Pride of the Yankees, the story of Blue Gary. Gary Cooper played the part in the film. Babe Ruth played his own part in that film. Bill Dickey, the Hall of Fame catcher, was in that film. And I thought, what a great organization. I would like to play for them. When I got to the game, the Yankees had a scout there by the name of Spud Chandler, and he asked the coach, he hit some balls in the hole in shortstop, and we played the game. He came up to me after the game and said, I can promise you that when you graduate from high school, you'll have a chance to play with the Yankees. Well, I was thrilled. They sent me literature. We kept in touch, and two more years, two more years later, we were in the same situation where we were one game before going to the American Legion World Series, and sure enough, it, uh, they'd kept in touch, and the day I graduated, the opportunity was there. In those days, just 16 teams in the American National, eight in each league, and out of the 16, 12 gave me the same opportunity. If you got more than $4,000 bonus, you had to go up and spend two years on the parent roster, and that'd be a waste of time for a 17-year-old. And so I signed with the Yankees, given a trip to New York, worked out with them, and then it worked out that I was sent to my first team in Norfolk, Virginia. Well, I hadn't been there very long when I knew I was in over my head reminded me of going out for high school baseball. I took the place of a shortstop who was the best player that was called into our three-week reserve program. And for three weeks, I wasn't hitting my weight, and uh, it was just a very tough time, and I was ready to quit and come back home to South Carolina. And about that time, I received a letter from my junior high school coach. His name was Conley Alexander. 
And in that letter, he had a verse of scripture that challenged me. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. My dad came up, messed with the, met with the general manager, and they said, well, he's just playing over his head. He needs to go out and start in a lower classification. We'll send him to Olean, New York, and there he'll be playing with boys his own age. Well, I went to Olean, New York, and in the 30 days left in the season, I hit 412, <laughs> and things worked out really good, and I skipped over the Norfolk team, and the next year I was asked to play Class A baseball in Binghamton, New York, it worked out so good that year. I played every inning of every ball game. I was the second leading hitter in the team. The Yankees came down and played an exhibition game against us. Mantle hit a home run. And I remember we beat him 5-3. to three. And Casey Stingle was the manager. And he came over and said, I want you to come down to our instructional school in Florida in spring training next year. I did that. And sure enough, at 19, I joined the Yankees. And I had a dozen seasons in New York. And the Yankees won nine out of the first 10 seasons. Well, one other thing happened along the way. The next year, I was sent to Binghamton, New York, and when I got there, there was a guy there by the name of Johnny Hutton. Johnny Hutton was a wonderful Christian, and he and his wife kind of took me under their wing, and he encouraged me. I'd go to church with him. I'd have dinner with him on occasion, and he just knew and loved the Lord in such a way that he really, really was an impact in my life. And the first thing I did when I retired from the Yankees, a little bit early, I was 30 years old when I retired, and I was asked to be the baseball coach at the University of South Carolina. And the first thing I did was call Johnny Hutton and said, would you come and be my assistant coach? And he spent, I think, 20 years at the University of South Carolina until I switched and went to Liberty University to be the athletic director. And I called Johnny and said, I want you to come up and be the baseball coach. He was voted coach of the year his first year at Liberty University. And so I just say that, that those were men that had an impact in my life of the way during the course of that time. Those were wonderful days, though, and I remember them very well. I think that probably what I'd like to do just for a moment is switch gears and just say that I had a great rapport with my teammates with the Yankees. Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's home run record, and then we had a reunion 30 years later. The former president uh, was our host, Donald Trump was our host in Atlantic City and brought the 1961 New York Yankees in for three days. We had a wonderful time together. And during that time, I remember so well that uh, there were about a thousand people on a big auditorium and they were talking about the thrills of that year. Maris hit 61 home runs, Mickey Mantle had 54 home runs and there were three catchers on the club that had over 60 home runs. And they were talking about that, and when it was over, went up to the room, and I was having my devotion, reading the 90th Psalm, talking about how rapidly time is passing, how much it is that needs to be accomplished. It says, life is a tale that is told. It is soon cut off, and we fly away. But then the 12th verse says, teach us to number our days, that we might apply our hearts into wisdom. And I was challenged in several ways. Number one, I couldn't help but think that Roger Maris had already passed away, and so had Alston Howard. Both were 51 years of age. And I remember that I was asked by Roger's wife to come and to have the eulogy and represent the Yankees at his funeral in Fargo, North Dakota. It's so cold out there. Didn't have an overcoat. It was sleeting. It was just so cold. And when the service was over, I remember sitting on a motorhome waiting to go back to the hotel we're in, and Mantle, who had been a pallbearer, been drinking a little bit, sat down by me. 
And he said, I want you to have my funeral. Well, I don't remember answering him, but I thought, man, that'll never happen. I said, I'll go before you, I'm sure. Didn't say too much, and then when I saw him again, he said, don't forget, now I get to have my funeral. And then progressed along until there was a poignant interview on national television where Mickey Mantle had been to Betty Ford. He had stopped drinking, and he was interviewed by Bob Costas, a very poignant interview, and he said, man, I've been no hero. I've no been not a good father, husband. Just took so much for him to do that in front of a national television audience. And then not long after that, I remember so well that he came down with cancer, and he was at Baylor Medical Center. And uh, after that poignant interview on television, uh, Betch and I were in Dallas, Texas at that time, but uh, I was on the board of baseball assistance team, and they were having their annual meeting around the All-Star Game in Dallas. And my phone rang about 5 o'clock in the morning. Betsy answered the phone at the hotel, and it was Mickey, and he said, I'm waiting for a liver transplant, but I'm in the midst of chemotherapy. Uh, and as we know now, the, the liver transplant was complete, but cancer came into that. And he said, I'm really hurting. I want Bobby to pray for me. We had prayer on the telephone that day, and the verse that I shared with Mickey was Philippians 4, but I used the Phillips translation. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Find your joy in him at all times. Never forget his nearness. And then it says, tell God in details your problems, your anxieties. And the promise is the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds as we rest in Christ Jesus. Betsy went out and spent the next two days with Merlin, his wife, and I visited Mickey. And as I started to leave, he said, don't forget now, you're to have my funeral. It wasn't too long after that, before the call came, the cancer did come into the transplant, and Betsy and I were asked <clears throat> to come out and be with him those last days. I couldn't wait to get out there, and we were on the plane, and I remember saying to Betsy, Betsy, I want Mickey to spend time with me in heaven, and so I want to be bold in my witness. There were about six times that we spent time together and talked about the Lord and the need for saying yes to Christ. He and I had a little place together in Boone, North Carolina, at Grandfather Mountain. It was a little place called Adam's Apple, and they'd rent it out when we weren't there, and that would pay for it, supposedly. And one time we were both grand marshals of a ski festival. He didn't know how to ski, and I didn't know how to ski, and they put us on a lift to make it look like we knew what we were doing. I remember he had to fly somewhere, and the helicopter was going to take him. The weather was bad, and he called Betsy. He said, hey, Betsy, let's you and I and Bobby read the scriptures together. Let's, let's have prayer before I get on that helicopter. Then he came down to Sumter, South Carolina. We gave 2,000 Mickey Mantle bats away. We had a wonderful, we raised enough money to build a YMCA down there. I remember once again, we talked about the need to say yes to the person of Christ. Came to the University of South Carolina, had eight-year-old boys that he gave instruction to. And we found one of those boys 40 years later and said, what was it like having the icon of baseball give you instruction? He said, well, I only remember one thing. When you finish the instruction, we asked Mr. Mantle if he'd take one swing, batting right-handed, Johnny Hunting pitching to him, hit the ball out of the park, over the football field, into the parking lot. He said, you jumped up and said, if we can't do that, my car's parked over there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, we were on that plane going to Dallas, Texas, and I did want to be bold. I dropped Betsy off at the home we're staying in in Dallas and went to, to Baylor Medical Center. 
And as I walked in, he had a smile on his face. And he said, come over here. I can't wait to tell you this. I want you to know I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I remember crying a little bit. And then I said, Mickey, let me go over with you just to make sure you understand. And I went over God's plan of salvation that he loves us and sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to shed his precious blood and promise in his word that if we would repent of our sin and receive him as Savior, we might indeed have everlasting life. He said, that's just what I've done. Well, I couldn't wait to get back to the home we're staying in, and I told Betsy that. And she said, well, wait a minute. You didn't, maybe you didn't explain it right. Let's go back. Let me talk to her. <laughs> and they were buddies. They were buddies. And when we got there, he said, uh, he said, oh, Betsy, let me get comfortable. Took him over to the reclining suite in the joining room, and Betsy knelt down by him and shared her testimony of how she'd come to know Christ. And then she asked me the question, Mickey, if a holy God were here today and he would ask you the question, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? He paused for a little bit and said, we're talking about God. She said, that's right. And then he started quoting John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He had a real peace. He told the doctors that he was ready. Well, I had the responsibility of having that funeral. I went to two of my friends that were pastors in Dallas, Texas, to try to get a location for the funeral. One was Jack Graham. He had the largest church in Dallas, and he was on vacation, and his secretary said, we cannot, cannot, cannot interrupt him. I went to O.S. Hawkins, who was at First Baptist Church. She, he was with him on vacation. And so Tom Landry had a he had been going to Lover's Lane Methodist Church and got that church. It turned out to be the right church. It was on national television. The Lord used that in an unbelievable way. And uh, it, his glory was, was, was very evident because the service was there. You know, Mickey had a day in New York. They retired number seven, Monument instead of Field. And he had heard me use these words, and he said, I want to use them on my day in New York. Just too much going on. Didn't have a chance. When I had his funeral on national television, they were appropriate. It says, your name may not appear down here in this world's Hall of Fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. The trophies, the honors, the flashbulbs here may pass you by and new young lights are blue. But if you know and love the Lord, then I have news for you. This Hall of Fame is only good as long as time shall be. But keep in mind, God's Hall of Fame is for eternity. This crowd on earth, they soon forget the heroes of the past. They cheer like mad until you fall, and that's how long you last. I wish Mickey it. I wish Mickey had lived a little bit longer so that he could have said to the world what he had done. It was on national television. I couldn't tell you how many calls I got from folks around the country said, you know, I've been praying for him. I'm so glad he came to know Christ. His wife was instrumental in putting a track together called His Final Innings. I've personally given out over 15,000 of these tracks and still continue to get letters back from folks that read this track. And I brought some today for some of the guys that are out here to take home. It's a wonderful track. And so my challenge is just very simply to make sure that we have an opportunity to share with those that we come in contact with. I've had over 10 of my teammates' funerals the Lord gave me a wonderful time with my teammates. Whitey Forges the other day, Ralph Howe, Lee Boyer, Moose Garren, Bob Turley, ten, 10 different players that the Lord uh, gave me an opportunity to be with. And I'm grateful for that. 
Let me just close by saying that uh, I'd like for Ron to come up and I'll have a word of prayer. And, and Ron, if you would just maybe just see if there are any here today that have not made that decision to receive Christ as their Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that you allowed a film to go up and thank you for putting me in baseball and I, I pray that I honored you in my playing days and my coaching days. I enjoyed coaching so much at the University of South Carolina. Our team did well. We finished second in the nation in the College World Series. And I'm so happy to know that my three All-American players that I had all through funerals and all of them knew Christ as their Savior. And I pray that you'll bless this congregation today as that question very simply is asked. What have you done with Jesus Christ? If you said yes, would you be honest by saying I've said no, or perhaps even maybe, and maybe is no, because of the X factor of death. I remember the young second baseman that took my place on the last day after I had that day in New York. My manager, Ralph Hass, asked if we would have a devotion with all the Yankees in attendance. And he said, just watch the second baseman for the text two weeks. Encourage him. Let him play. But on the last day in Chicago, you be in uniform and you play that game. And we did have a devotion. And all the players were there. And my friend was then of the gospel in a very clear way. And the message was very simply, you have to make a decision, either yes or no. Maybe yes, indeed, no. And the young second baseman that was to take my place and play for the next seven years came up and said, you know, I've never heard that before. Our personal relationship with a living Savior who gives to us an abundant life. I'd like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I remember, Father, that I talked with him about four or five years later after he'd retired. And I had been retired for a while. And we were in an old-timers game together. And I said, Horace Clark, tell me, how are you doing with the Lord? He said, not very well. He said, you remember when I made that decision to say yes to Christ? I didn't follow through as I should. I didn't get involved in a church. I didn't open the scriptures. I didn't pray. And I guess I really have not been much of a witness. And as I flew back, I remember thinking, there are a lot of us in that category. We've said yes to Christ, but we don't follow through in a manner pleasing to God. Challenge us here today, Father, to make sure that we've said yes, and then we follow through getting involved in God's word, talking to him in prayer, and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can be a witness. My prayers in Christ's name. Amen.